Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and today we are talking to Jessica May. She's a wonderful veterinarian, really versed in telemedicine in the UK. The Royal Vet College has just come down with a new care module for telemedicine, how they're going to handle it. We talk about that. We talk about the relationship between uh, clients and their veterinarians and the telemedicine veterinarian, whether it's their veterinarian or another. This has been an incredible conversation and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's go and see what Jessica May, my dear veterinary friend says about telemedicine. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and you're here at the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. I am so glad you're here again. And today we are speaking with Jessica May. She is a good friend of mine from across the pond. She's a veterinarian, and we're going to ask her our question, which is why do pets matter? And we're hoping this will wind its way to a better understanding of what is meant by telemedicine and where it is in the world right now. So Jessica, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be here, Deborah. Thank you for having me. We have we have time differences, so it's always great to be able to speak to my um, colleagues from uh, the UK and elsewhere when we all either stay up late um, or get up early to make sure we can have this conversation. And I'm so grateful, and so is my audience. Uh, so it's time for your question, Jessica. Uh, why do pets matter to you? Well, that's a, a lovely question to start with, and I think it's probably why we're here speaking at very different times across the pond, in matter of fact. So um, for me, I grew up on a farm in rural UK in Herefordshire, which is on the Welsh borders mm -hmm. in the west of England. And I was very fortunate to grow up with pets and farm animals. And surrounded by animals is, is a wonderful place to be. It teaches you incredible life lessons. And it's something that I wouldn't change for the world. And it's something that I would love other people to have the opportunity of experiencing. And so anyone who's able to be a pet owner or an animal keeper of some kind in some way, shape or form, I think that's an incredible privilege. And that's really why I do what I do and always wanted to be a vet is that I want to, to look after those animals that are under care from, from my perspective, but also for everyone else out there who may be a, an animal owner. I think it is an absolute privilege to be able to spend our lives with animals. It really is. They give so much to us. I grew up riding horses with cattle and sheep, pets as well, and they, they give so much to us. And yet they can't speak, but actually we benefit so much from them. And particularly during the last few years, we've all recognized more and more 
how much of a central role pets play in just our, our daily lives and our, our central to our well-being as well. So you're much younger than I am. And in the old days of the 60s and 70s, you know, pets were given scraps from the table. They were kept in a doghouse outside. I have a friend, Peter Weinstein, who said the era of bringing the dogs inside coincided with the era of flea and tick medication because then the fleas and ticks didn't come in. Uh, and that's when the dogs transitioned from the doghouse outside into the people's house and then into the people's beds. And then they went out the front door with the people. So for us, it is so important to understand that transition of animals from where you came from, the farm, where animals are wonderful and well taken care of, but the mindset might be a little different than uh, the teacup poodle in the bag going to, you know, the St. Regis Hotel for lunch. Yes, it's an interesting one. So I was born in the 80s and definitely grew up with influences. My parents would definitely think that, uh, for example, the sheepdog should live outside in the barn in a, in a kennel near the sheep. So, you know, not that not that different, I think. But I, it's and the sheepdog might that, like to be there too. Absolutely, yes. The sheepdog loved being permanently on guard and, and ready for action. But then over the course of my life, the sheepdog definitely then got to come inside when it was clean. And then after that, increasingly, the, the bar was dropped. And now, of course, we've got a whole generation of pet parents, as we call them, mm -hmm. where a pet is one of the family, deeply ingrained in that family, and for some people, uh, a, a child as well. They see their say their pet as a child. So it's it's really important for us to recognise a big change in mindset of as as veterinary professionals, that change in mindset of our clients. It really is, and and I think that veterinarians now recognise some veterinarians recognise the partnership they can really establish with pet owners because they may be even more observant than they were when they were farm animals. I, I don't think that a farmer with a sheepdog or an Anatolian shepherd or any of the dogs that you know work on a farm wouldn't know when something was wrong with their dogs. But now, especially post-COVID, people are way more aware of differences in their animals and want to be a partner with their veterinarian knowing what that means, because there's so many things that you might need to worry about. And then so many things that you don't need to worry about. So tell us a little bit. I know you and I have talked at length about how veterinary medicine has changed over the last uh, 20 or 30 years since you were young. And now over the last four or five years since COVID, because of the differences in how you receive veterinary medicine and veterinary care, how many people got pets that never had pets before. So that, that ability to know about them, they didn't have the opportunity to, you know, to learn as individually. So many questions to ask, but let's start there. What do you see as the biggest difference in veterinary medicine today from let's say when you were younger on the farm and then when you started your practice? Yes, it's a good question. And I think what I've seen over the years is that, of course, farmers are incredibly in tune, in tune with their livestock from morning to evening when they're checking and doing their rounds. They're always looking and keeping an eye out. They'll know the ones that they're concerned about or they'll have identification on those and they'll be constantly checking in. And actually herd health is something that has progressed a lot. So we have in veterinary terms 
trying to do less and less firefighting on farms and actually more and more preventative medicine. So making sure that we take steps to prevent lameness within a herd, for example, or respiratory disease within a herd. Mm -hmm. The same as, as you can with human health, for example, with things like vaccination and, and good health and hygiene. In terms of pet side, obviously, we've seen a huge expansion in pet ownership, which is fantastic, uh, particularly over the last few years. But we've also seen a change in the way that veterinary medicine is delivered to pet owners. So it used to be a very paternalistic type of structure where the owner would seek advice and the vet would tell them what to do with their particular pet and, and their presentation. Whereas now it's much more of a shared ownership and cl clinical decision making. Pet owners want to take responsibility. We've got very, very empowered pet owners, very responsible pet owners. We've got an increasing incidence of pet insurance, which is great. And we've also got pet owners who want to be able to spot signs and things going wrong earlier, which is also great because then we get to, as vets, treat them earlier and hopefully the pet gets less sick or doesn't even get sick in the first place. When we're talking about things like uh, worming parasite control, we try and prevent the diseases that those parasites can carry and cause. So I think we've we've got to recognise also the, the change in pet ownership. I know there is a concern about the worried well we talk about, where people have a fitness tracker and they're constantly checking their heart rate and everything else. But I think it's great that we can use data, which is also another big change, um, and, and add that into our clinical decision making and, and make it a more harmonious and group discussion and, and education and the pet are at the heart of, of everything we do. I love that you started off with, in the old days, it used to be paternalistic. You'd go into your veterinarian, he'd take a look at your dog or your cat or your bird or your horse or your cow and say, mm, this is what I think is wrong. I think in the farm community, there was more of that collaborative conversation because a herd is a herd and you know these three are like this and then it's it's sort of like when you're a breeder you know you know what your breed is and you can help the veterinarian understand oh well, I'm not really worried about that because of this but I'm worried about this so it's a it's a working collaborative relationship but when it came to pets it was it was paternalistic you know vets would say this is what you're doing and now uh, because of Dr. Google which I have to say when I give conferences on communication that's one of the biggest questions they it, most veterinarians hate dr google and because they they see it as a criticism or a lack of confidence in their ability to diagnose the pet and if i share with my veterinarians that it's the only thing that keeps a pet owner sane while they're waiting to see you they go on dr google they plug in all the things and they come up with what it might be and if you can recognize that it isn't a search to teach you what you should know, but rather a search to keep me sane, it might be easier to take all that information for what it what it is and see if it applies to the dog or the cat or the horse. So when you talk about that collaborative relationship, having veterinarians understand the human makeup now with the internet, that there's so much they can find. It's not a personal affront to the veterinarian, but rather hopefully a helping hand. I think it's also an access to information point because pet owners, as well as humans for our own health, want to get answers as quickly as possible. And when you've got a self-service tool like Dr. Google, unfortunately, that's where you're going to go when you can't see a veterinary professional straight away. And of course, 
traditionally we used to go into a book an appointment and go into a clinic in the next day week in a short month. period of time right <laughs> exactly exactly and and see a veterinary professional whether that's a nurse or, or a veterinarian however these days when people want things instantly you can book food instantly via an app on your phone you can book all sorts of different things instantly at the of a drop of a hat Amazon so you can buy a book really... and and do anything exactly. you want in a minute and it comes in a day and so I think convenience is really important part of this conversation and we've got to as vets step up and provide a more instantaneous service to pet owners because they do seek the information they're being proactive we don't want to not reward that behavior because it's a really really positive step forward however obviously Dr Google is a huge mine of information both for human health and for pet health it often can be not intentionally but often can be misleading because an owner hasn't got the medical training to decipher what information is legitimate and what's not most of what's on the internet is not peer-reviewed or um, not all of it's written by professionals or updated so there's a, a world of information and a pet at, at a pet owner's fingertips and we really need to be there to help to guide them through it and to get there, get the information to them as quickly as possible and intervene into their Dr. Google explorations. And, and obviously practices have in the, in the past and do have social media channels where they put out information. They also use their SEO on their website to provide articles and guides to owners. Video libraries are increasingly great thing, great resource for owners, YouTube channels, things like that. So I would definitely encourage clinics that haven't done so already to start going out to meet their clients where their clients are seeking information. Absolutely. And it's so important to be able to be proactive because as you said, you know, in the, in the old days, they came in when the dog was sick. Preferably most veterinarians would rather have the dogs come in and catch something early or uh, vaccinate against it. I know here in the United States, we've had several upper respiratory diseases that afflicted dogs that it would be so much better if everyone got their dogs vaccinated because then the prevalence of the continuation of the disease would lessen. So we would all be vaccinated. And it really is important, like you said, to put this out there in a way that can be perceived by your pet owning clients as a partnership, not as, well, you have to come in and spend money and do this. No, it's a partnership. Here's what we're seeing in the neighborhood. Here's what we're seeing in the state. Uh, we really recommend our owners of pets say it's lepto, right? Stay away from uh, standing water after all of these rains because we've had a huge outbreak of lepto in this quadrant of the state. And if you are going to walk your pets where there's water, maybe you would consider coming in and getting a vaccination. And you can get that out there so quickly. But the wording of it is so important so that it's a partnership and not you know, a handling for service or perceived as a handling for service. So you get them in to spend money. I know that's, that is so much of the conundrum uh, between uh, being able to educate your clients and also to get them in to take care of their pets. Yes. And, and some veterinary practices are now utilizing services, which services, which enable pet owners to self-serve on information. So they're providing those resources, professional up-to-date resources that an owner can access which are a value add. They don't cost any extra money, but they, they improve the 
bond they strengthen the bond between a pet owner and their clinic and obviously we want to keep their clinic and the pet at the center of this relationship and there are lots of different third-party providers nowadays who can distract a pet owner and, and take part ownership of that pet owner but if we want the, the focus to stay around the the physical in-person care provision in a clinic there are lots of things that practices can do to add value to support pet owners without taking time um, from either the pet owner or the clinic team, as well as providing really, really useful information without costing any money. And these are proactive opportunities for the veterinarian to gently touch their client in a way that keeps the client in the know. I know that if my veterinarian writes to me and says, you know, these are the news updates we have, you can have them delivered to your phone by text, you can open them or not. Uh, and I open it and it says, you know, Lepto has has really been a big problem in your neighborhood. Uh, we really would love Junie, my dog, is due for his lepto and, and you should come in. And that would be something like, oh, I'm so glad they're keeping track of A, Junie, uh, B, what's going on in my neighborhood, and C, that my dog does need an update because he doesn't have it. And those are welcomed things. If you are with some vet practices that haven't started, and I know that you have started in a huge way having these conversations in a very communicative way, in a very collaborative way. Often, this is not a strong suit for a veterinarian because they aren't necessarily gregarious by nature. And I say that with all love and affection, they they don't necessarily have that gift of the gab. They really are clinical. They really want to talk about the dog and not much else and really don't want to be your best friend. I've actually moved to North Carolina and am still trying to find a veterinarian because nobody ever calls me back. So these are the kind of things that pay, that clients find off-putting when you then send the email that says, oh, by the way, we're having a, a spike in lepto. You should bring your dog in to be vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right there. But if we think about utilizing our clinic teams better, we can ensure that things like reminders and newsletters with relevant information on that not only help the pet and the pet owner, but also help the clinic to manage their their caseload um, can be really useful. And I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that you're not able to find a vet and it's something that's not specific to the US at the moment, unfortunately. I know. The UK and many other countries are experiencing similar staff shortages with veterinary techs or veterinary nurses and veterinarians. So there's a big problem and we touched on access to care earlier. And I think that there are lots of different ways for digital health to play a part in increasing access to care whilst we take into account our super stretched veterinary teams at the moment they can uh, they 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 simply can't get any more pets through the door fast enough because they've they're seeing so many already and they're so stretched with with re limited resources already so i think digital health really plays into this conversation it's an important thing for for us to embrace in the veterinary industry and it's really great because if you create this access to digital information that is really authored by people who are in the know and you use them as a partner, because partnerships are always key. When you can't meet a need, and we all know that veterinarians are overworked, some of them are leaving the practice of veterinary medicine, as are some of the uh, vet nurses leaving the practice of veterinary medicine because of the stress. 
because we as pet owners aren't necessarily our best selves when we're having a conversation with a vet because we're emotional. I mean, these are like our children. I'm sure it's it's tough for a pediatrician too, although the kid can usually talk unless they're really little, but the dog can't. And so we're trying to communicate and the ability to create conscious conversations takes time. We sometimes, there was someone the other day who said to me, and I said I would use it all the time and I'd give them credit, but I'm not going to because I can't remember, but I trust that it, they'll know that I meant to. It's it's your bias of your last interaction of this kind. So if you're a veterinarian and you've had an interaction with someone who's asking a lot of questions and they became a pain in the hiney, the next time somebody comes in with a, you know, a list of questions, you're going to go back there and go, oh my God, this is going to be one of these. And we really need to make sure that we don't do that. And we give the members of our our client uh, base and our staff, the ability to help people get the answers from, like you said, some remote relationships that might work and then play into the hands-on relationships. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that because I think people don't understand the, I know that the Royal Vet College has just come out with a decision regarding how much telemedicine is too much and how much is just enough. The United States is still figuring that out because here in the United States, there are laws between states that a vet that has a license in one state can't be talking to someone who's in another state in telemedicine. So tell me a little bit about where the UK is now and why the benefits of telemedicine will hopefully keep veterinarians in practice so that they're not burnt out and overloaded, keep their staff in practice and keep their clients happy because they're able to get that information uh, in a timely manner. Well, that's a huge question. So I'll try and break it down and uh, and, and re-steer me if I go off track. But essentially, the our Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons is our regulator in the UK. And that's one regulatory body for the whole of the UK, which is a bit different to the States. Mm-hmm. So we're very lucky to to have things relatively simply structured here. And essentially, the past past four years have been what's called the under care review, which is where they have been looking at what it means to have a patient under the care of a veterinarian. How do you establish that relationship and what are you able to do with that relationship in place? And remote consulting, telemedicine as such, has played a a part in this. Now, we also don't define telemedicine and telehealth so much in the UK. Um, I know that the States defines all of these different aspects of teleconsulting in different ways. So if I use telehealth or telemedicine, it all means the same thing, provision of remote care for now. So the RCVS have taken into account a huge wide range of consultation. They've gone out to the public and the veterinary profession. Uh, They've sought legal advice and there's a huge report available on the RCVS website. And they also took into account a lot of data which the COVID pandemic was able to to provide on the the provision of remote care by veterinary practices. And this has been extremely helpful in feeding into this consultation. So where we are now is that last week they they took their final decision on what their definition of undercare would mean and essentially it means that we can now establish a client and patient relationship with a vet via remote means only so we used to have to go into a physical cl- clinic and your vet used to have to put their hands on the patient in inverted commas um, in order to establish that client patient vet relationship now we don't have to do that and from the 1st of june 
the second half of this year, the guidelines will be published and we will be able to establish that relationship remotely. Now, leading on from that, of course, is the ability to prescribe medication. And it's very, very important that in all circumstances, the vet has sufficient clinical information at their disposal in order to be able to prescribe medication safely and effectively. And so it will be at that clinician's decision to make the decision via remote means as to whether they have enough clinical information to be able to prescribe medication. There are other more complex aspects to the undercare guidance. There are stipulations about being able to provide in-person clinical care to the patient as well, as well as expanding the range to include, you know, obviously farm animals, horses and things like aquaculture. So this really does span the full range. But in, in a nutshell, uh, essentially, we can now establish uh, a patient-vet relationship remotely, and prescribing is at the discretion of that veterinarian. And that's so important because the veterinarian is able to work with the client remotely, and now with our phones and everything else, we are able to really give a good description, both verbally and in texts and pictures to the veterinarian so that the diagnosis or the communication of care is quite often spot on. Well, I think it's it's a little bit difficult to say whether the, the diagnosis is always spot on. And it's something we're going to have to learn because although we are familiar with doing phone consultations, particularly if you're out in the field as a farm vet or an equine vet receiving mm-hmm. pictures or emails from clients with, with clinical data and, and, and questions, I think we have to all learn how to formulate best practice, best practice guidelines for safe and effective remote care. And I think that will be under review ongoing. And it'll be really interesting to gather evidence behind how we practice remotely and where it is appropriate and where it's not appropriate. But in terms of delivering better care, not only to farm species, aquaculture, our equine clients who we often go out to their yards to visit and also pets, we can bring this remote way of working into the patient care flow. We can weave it in, we can integrate it in the right way with this data, with this evidence. And by setting ourselves up with a a nice structure and some definitions in order to improve access to care, we can put that point of touch with owners, not in a physical clinic necessarily, but they can reach us 24 hours a day online at the touch of a button on an app, for example, and we can be providing dynamic professional care to their right to their living room or the park or wherever they happen to be. Yeah. It all is about relationship, communication, and being, at least in in my neck of the woods with what I do with communication, being able to work together, you know, play nicely in the sandbox, so to speak, because some clients want more than a veterinary can give and, and telemedicine may be able to provide that immediate care that that someone may want. And veterinarians may or may not appreciate the information uh, that is given. However, it creates that opportunity for a client to then go see their vet, either because they've had a telemedicine visit with that vet, or they've had a telemedicine visit, at least here in the United States, this is my understanding, they can have a telemedicine visit with a telemedicine vet, and then um, the telemedicine vet and their vet work together to answer the questions. Is that 
about, correct? Because I've been making grandiose statements here and you've been so kind to be kind to correct me about, well, mostly we'll be able to do things, but not all the time. I love it. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm not practicing in the US and as a very broad overview to a very complex framework. Yep. Um, as I mentioned, the US have defined all of these different tele dot, dot, dot words. So some states recognize telehealth and some don't recognize it at all. And there's a huge variation in the middle. And what people are, what practitioners are often offering at the moment is a telehealth or teleadvice option, whereby you are not forming that client-patient relationship. And they call it the veterinary client-patient relationship or VCPR in the States. And mm-hmm. that is that yep. formal relationship. Tele, tele-triage and tele-advice is that initial touch point where you're not taking full professional responsibility for that pet, but you're simply signposting them where to get help in a timely fashion so if a dog has obviously just been hit by a car they will hopefully not try and have a video consult and they'll just seek professional in-care advice in-person advice immediately but if they do seek online advice then hopefully that veterinarian will or, or veterinary technician will simply signpost them to their nearest physical clinic as soon as possible Obviously, if they're looking for advice for a puppy, about they're starting to think about brushing that dog's teeth and having a, a good preventative dental care routine for the rest of that pet's early, early years, then we can provide videos, written instructions, all sorts of advice that could be tailored specifically to that pet in a remote means. But obviously, that's not urgent. So we can deliver that care to an owner to make sure that they're empowered and, and ready for the next to take the next step. And the and the fact that that leaves space open for the urgent care needs of a pet owner at a veterinarian's clinic is huge because they are able to triage things that are not necessarily in the moment life threatening to a point where they can get them next week and that gives a lot of peace of mind. Peace of mind to the veterinarian that good advice is being given. Peace of mind for the client the good advice is being given to them and they, you know, can wait. And the ability for a client with a pet in extremis to get in because they're not waiting for someone else to go in front of them in the brick and mortar situation. So it's been such a godsend for most pet owners. However, here in the United States, I know the VCPR, which is the vet client patient relationship has to be established. It's very important. And it's very important for the veterinarian to maintain all the rules and regulations around that. They have similar requirements uh, in the UK. I think you said it was, what is it called in the UK? You, you said it before and I'm I'm blanking. Our, our term is under care. What under care, you, right. I wrote it down here. Requirements here for a pet to be under care of a veterinarian. And so so the VCPR is a harder thing to understand than under care because it's pr- pretty straightforward. If you're under my care, then you and I have a relationship and that's important. And the telemedicine is always, you know, those pesky lawyers get in the way because if it's uh, a telemedicine conversation, is the pet under care if the veterinarian has never put their hands on the dog or the cat or the bird or the horse or the cow? Uh, so that's always the question the lawyers come up with, you know, how under care are you if you are on a phone? And so I know we talked about this, that this is something that we're working out as we speak. Um, and that's why the decision by the Royal Vet College was so important, because it sort of gave some grounding to that relationship. 
Absolutely. It was a real pivotal moment. We've been waiting four years for the undercare decision to be made. And obviously, further revisions, I'm sure, will happen in the future. But for a regulator to take such a definitive line in the sand actually presents so many opportunities to the profession. It's a crossroads for us to pay forwards our experience, particularly from the last few years, in order to help create a sustainable veterinary profession, which we've touched on some of those challenges this evening and also to deliver modern animal health, modern pet care, because digital is so fundamental to our lives these days, and it can provide so many benefits in a veterinary setting. So we talked about some of the advantages of digital health provision for veterinary clinics, and it really can help to First of all, free up the waiting room to see those emergencies that really need to be seen and to see the pets that need workups and surgeries, the ones that the, the vets and the nurses really love getting stuck in with, and those ones that don't need to make the journey, which is a significant proportion often, um, into a clinic. Those can be seen at home. Great professional information can be given. It's much more convenient for the owner. It's much more convenient for the practice. And therefore, it's a much better service if we can keep those pets at home that don't need to be in the clinic. And of course, in the telehealth setting where I've been working for the past four years, I've seen the really transformational experience that it's had for vets, particularly um, having worked with vets myself, working in a remote way. Now, we often work, um, we know about hybrid working these days, and these vets often working in a hybrid way. So they're mix, mix and matching their in-clinic physical consultations and surgeries with online working. So they can continue being a vet outside of the surgery, expand the range of services that surgery, that clinic offers to their clients, while still practicing excellent veterinary medicine and keeping their hand in in physical practice. And it's really transformational in a, a work-life integration way that we're all seeking at the moment, that flexible working. It's really, really fundamental to veterinary professionals. And for example, if you had a, a four-vet practice, you had a limited floor plan space, you had limited money to invest in physical premises, yet you offered a remote consulting service, you could expand your practice by five, 10, 20 plus vets to meet your client needs where you can't see so many people in practice now, but you can still go and provide your client base with the professional information that they're seeking from you and that guidance. And, and people really are wanting to come to their veterinary professional for that guidance. So I think that digital health, those are just a couple of the points that we can, way, the ways in which we can leverage it to help our clients more in, in the future. And I think that's the bottom line. It makes everyone's life a little bit easier. The necessary clients can get to see the vet, which is really important. The ones who are inquisitive or worried can get seen right away, uh, at least with telemedicine, so that they can get some information other than from Dr. Google. And it creates an opportunity for everyone to have this collaborative conversation. The veterinarian with the client, the telemedicine veterinarian with the client, the telemedicine veterinarian with the veterinarian. So you're really getting, if, there's, if it's another person, you're really getting the opportunity to expand that discussion, which is what I'm always all about, 
making sure you have collaborative conversations that help people solve issues together. So I'm I'm so glad. I can't believe we've run out of time. I'm so glad that you, I, I was sitting here going to give the three things that we talked about today, but you did it because you're so wonderful uh, and I appreciate it. I'd love to have you back because I think that this is going to be a topic that people are going to need to know more about. And although you are across the pond and it might be a little different and the Royal Vet College might be a little further along than the AVMA, which is the United States Oversight Group for Veterinarians. The states see every license, but yet the AVMA is the great group. It just will be so wonderful if we could do this again and continue this conversation. Because as you said, this is a first step. This is really accommodating the veterinarian's needs, the veterinary staff needs, and the client needs, and of course, the pet needs. We're on the cutting edge of something that's really going to change how we see veterinary medicine. And of course, I'm so grateful, Jessica, that you've put Why Do Pets Matter on the cutting edge as well, because you brought this to us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Deborah. It's been a real pleasure. And I would love to come back and talk about this. It's very much an evolving area. And also, I always stress that it's a global conversation. So we're all learning from each other about the same thing. So the more collaboration we can do, from the US to the UK and all over. It's it's really, really important. So yes, I'm looking forward to continuing. I love that. With you. I love that because, you know, you guys have this smaller sort of incubator that we can all learn from what's working, what isn't working, and then we can bring it forward here in the United States. So absolutely, you and I are going to be talking. Until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton, and I'm so glad you're here listening to Why Do Pets Matter? Thanks, Jessica. Ah! The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.